Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. And today we're going to talk about one of the key trends in banking, which has been happening last few years, and that's contextual banking. And we're going to talk to Gerti from Flybits in Toronto, Canada. We're going to find out more why, if you are in banking, you should be either afraid of it or you should be embracing it. But nevertheless, that uh, seems to be the future, right? So let's find out more. So Gerti, how are you today? I'm good. Um, how are you? Good. It's a bit hot in Switzerland by Swiss standards. No complaints. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get to do what you do today? I'm always looking for some inspirational backstory for people who would like to do what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for uh, inviting me and for being here on the show. It's a pleasure, Rudolf. So just to introduce myself, my name is Gerdi Dervishi. I'm one of the founding members of Flybits. So currently I lead the growth team. I think I've been part of pretty much every business unit we've put together in the company since the early days, apart from core engineering. So I start, I'm an engineer myself at first, so I have an engineering background, and then I went more on the business side of things. So I started with delivering large-scale projects for Flybits. And that project, the first, very first one, remains one of our top customers, TD Bank, for example, which is a, a top-tier bank in Canada and the U.S., and after that, I went more on the in, in the finance side when we needed money to raise money. I went in the international side when we had to open our international offices. And now I lead the growth team, which encompasses uh, a few components in terms of revenue, new, some customer success, marketing. So really growing the company. Awesome. So why have you decided to join a startup and not to, say, a, a corporate or an incumbent, something more stable, perhaps? I worked for large corporations before, companies like IBM and a few other banks as well. And they're quite pleasant, nothing wrong with that. I just felt that at some point in time, I needed to see if I could build something. I've several tries at building a startup. This is not the first one. This is the furthest I've ever gone. And it just, it provides a, let's say, a larger exposure to the various areas of the business. And trying to grow something it just feels pretty good. But same reason people have kids. It's, it's just something that you like to work and nurture and grow. And so that's, uh, that's the feeling that you get when you're part of a startup. And uh, let's also rewind and level set for people who maybe haven't used you yet. So Flybits, what is Flybits? What does it do? What is the problem that you're solving? If you look at the consumer space, we, the, we see the advent of these highly predictive personalized channels. Think about what Netflix is done for content and those recommendation services, which we all enjoy. And we can see them across the board and Amazons and Spotify, etc. But financial services industry has not adopted those services, at least not by and large. And so we thought, why not banking? 
and one of the Moena financial services. And we definitely see the trend. I think the everyone sees the trend. There's different reports that support that. 80% of new clients, for example, just a recent study that came from McKinsey saying we'll expect a Netflix-style model that is data-driven, hyper-personalized, continuous uh, from their financial institutions. And so what we provide is the ability for banks to create these embedded recommendation services, as we call them, to cater to the banking products and services, but also expand from there such that the banks can cater to making the customers, their customers' lives easier and their better financial outcomes as well. So to that end, to be very specific, what we do, we provide the banks a concierge type service that can be quickly enabled in the existing primarily mobile banking applications to transform those applications into destinations that they can cater to when you're traveling, let's say providing that lounge access maybe that you're already entitled to with your card to when you're buying a home and after you buy a home, maybe the other utility bills, et cetera, that needs to be set up. So really creating those end-to-end experiences for the customers. As we have seen, experiences have become more important than the product themselves, and we help banks capitalize on those trends. Right. There's been a lot of buzz around contextual banking lately, right? On the other hand, people are also more and more aware of how their data are being used or is being used by companies. And they may be wary of uh, how this data is used for banking services proposals. So how do you resolve this tension between privacy and, and the relevance? I mean, with big data comes big responsibilities. And of course, Clabis subscribes to this implementation frameworks and system designs in terms of privacy by design to making sure that consumers are in charge of their own data. And working with banking, we find this to be a perfect partner for us because to to a large extent, financial institutions are trustworthy institutions. We, We trust them with our money, so why not trust them with our data? And by providing systems like Flybits that have the right data tokenization, the right data permissions in place, the right ownership of the data. And this, they can actually really transform the way that services are provided to the end consumers, but also create a competitive advantage for themselves. We are all worried about data. Some tech, maybe participants, may have not been as, as trustworthy when it comes to our data usage. And so financial institutions have an opportunity here to create that data vault experience in addition to being a money vault. All right. And well, let's also put some labels on you. So are you a B2B or B2BC business? Uh, Who are your target customers? You're selling it uh, to the banks for the mobile banking solutions you mentioned, or do you also have something directly targeted at consumers? Yeah. So we are a B2B2C. So basically we provide our services to financial institutions for the purposes of them catering to the end consumers. So that's usually our go-to-market. We do not have a direct-to-consumer business. In terms of who our target customers would be, these are, again, just judging by the nature of the business, our customers, I mean, financial institutions that have a customer-facing product. We, We are particularly good when it comes to mobile, and we see that channel to have overtaken all the other channels put together. 
yet it cannot exist in silo. It has to communicate with the rest of the systems. And But to go back to our customers is the enterprise. And within that enterprise are usually folks that are in, in charge of experience design in digital and the lines of businesses themselves. And do you have insight who are the end consumers as well? You talked a little bit about privacy and relevance and getting and being used to Netflix and things like this. So does that mean that you have younger or, or older demographics or is there any trend in terms of income? or regions, or not really? Well, that's a very good question. Usually, doubt our customer and, and consumer will match the demographics of the channel itself. So basically, think about the demographics of a mobile application. So in that case, those aren't standards, but usually it's across the board for the demographics of the channel. Okay, got it, got it. And how do you make money? Let's also dive into a little bit more detail. How do you think about unit economics and scale? Yeah, absolutely. Being a B2B2C, obviously the end consumer is our unit economics. We want to keep pricing as simple as possible. I would recommend that to everyone. Keep it at the value prop. So the end consumer is our unit economics. So we charge very simple SaaS licensing fees for the end consumer. Right. and But of course, you do have contracts with the banks, etc. So... That generally is all about enterprise sales, right? And generally, that means a long cycle. So how long, in your experience, is it? Uh, if you were to give some uh, reality check to some uh, fintech founders who want to do B2BC, is that six months, 12 months, 18 months until you get the contract with the bank and, and get to their serve their consumers at the end? That's uh, a very good question. In the banking space, I would say the... The longest part of the cycle is the contracting part. So uh, even after you've agreed on terms and you've agreed on the value prop and you've agreed on terms of how you go to go to market, um, just going through procurement cycles may take up to six months. And so this is, I think, where you have an opportunity maybe to partner with institutions that already have uh, existing contract contractual uh, arrangements with the financial institutions you work with if you'd like to cut down those cycles you're talking about cycles with around 12 month mark but if you can cut down a lot of these we've seen cycles go down to two to three months for example a very good partner of ours is mastercard which is a global provider of live services and so with them we have a very strong relationship on a global scale and we've been able together, by working together, create the right product, create the right go-to-market and product market fit, and also leverage the advantages of both uh, entities. So on their, on their side, they have a lot of know-how, the install base, the contractual arrangements, and we provide a technology that is quite advanced and we can focus on keeping our technology and our offerings ahead of the, ahead of the market. Right. In many countries, yes, uh, for instance, the IT providers have marketplaces and that's how you can get to get into the banking customers and cut down on this typically long enterprise sales cycle. Sometimes the issue is, though, if you partner up with, for example, IT consulting firms that uh, they may actually push you to so much customization that you start to resemble a consulting firm rather than a product firm as well. So. If you do face uh, pressures like this, how do you resist them? Because what you're after is also scale, right? And you don't achieve it by becoming a consulting firm. That's true. We have 
for example, a very good partner of ours from a consulting perspective is Accenture. But the consulting firms have been working or like Accenture, for example, having worked with, with fintechs and we worked with product companies, they've they're become very good in terms of making sure that the value prop, the core value props of your products are being put together. However, when we go to these tier one banks, regardless if you're going with the consultant firm or you're going direct, some level of customization will be required potentially. And what you want to do is to get the you know variety of those customizations and sort of package them see if you can make them part of your product offering especially if they are valuable across the board create the right level of built-in customization in terms of ux ui because you don't want all the banks to look the same or act the same or have the same experiences you want to create a level of customization but you want to build it into the product that you're not creating a burden on your engineering team for every account you close Right, understood. So basically, it's preparing for it, having modules, right? And yeah. then you put it together like a Lego. And whether the most of the cubes are red or blue or yellow, uh, doesn't matter, right? Correct. It's not just color. It's experiences. It's make every bank is unique, and select every customer sure. is unique. So you want to bring both of those as part of your product offering. We talked about personalization at the customer level, where let's say one application looks like millions of applications because of the millions of customers that could be interacting and using it and their scenarios. The product has to be able to accommodate a comparable personalization. Let's talk about like that for the enterprise or for the bank or for the financial institution. And that's what we've been able to achieve. This is not achieved overnight. This We've been in business for years and years. And prior to that, we were a research group. We continue to partner with academic institutions to put, to put forward the innovation agenda because when we partner with financial institutions, we don't provide just a product. We also become like an extended part of their innovation team and really work together to what's the best way that these products can mature and go. All right. Understood. So you mentioned your global partner, MasterCard, and we talked about scaling up. That often means international, going international. You are based in Canada. So what is your home market or home markets? And what is your ambition in terms of scaling up potentially also uh, into new countries? Yeah, since we spun it out from the university where we took quite a bit of intellectual property and we continue to develop that, the company has also been a commercial success. Yes, we do a lot of the engineering and research in Toronto and we're a proud Toronto company, but we have offices around the world and we have deployments around the world so we have deployments and offices anywhere from Latin america to us canada europe uh, middle east and africa and just recently we opened our singapore operations and all of this is possible due to some of the advancements that we have in technology in terms of cloud-based infrastructures that we can deploy anywhere in the world to cater not only to the latency requirements in terms of data transmission but also to some of the data residency requirements that some countries have in place. So we're able to accommodate all of that. We create self-sufficiency, for example, for our teams. So when you think about a, a team in Europe, for example, has all of the different functions that you have in a Toronto office. So they have anywhere from engineering to delivery, to consultancy, to sales, to customer success. So they're fully, fully built. And that's what we're doing for all of our regions, but we also get a lot of advantages by this. Like think about by having an international footprint, we are able to get learnings 
from various regions and bring those learnings and bring those capabilities to customers in another region. For example, things that may be going very well in Asia, there could be some applicability to a European market or to a North American market. So we're able to bring that level of knowledge and that level of uh, capability at a global scale. Right. And you're the head of growth at Flybit. So when somebody's looking for jobs in the startup world, head of growth is one of the coolest jobs and most sought after jobs that are out there. So if you, again, were looking at your younger self and what would be the critical piece of advice that you would give your younger self, you know, or in other words, some people out there who would like to do what you do today? Well, the piece of advice I'd give to the younger self would be, I'd say, to prioritize what is worth worrying about. Not necessarily what you're going to work on, but what you worry about, as that is a significant energy requirement. And, and you don't have a lot of that when you're in such a fast-paced growth type of organization. Now, in terms of what some of the things to look for, as you make your way to growing, to the growth sort of positions, well, you have to grow yourself, like have that discoverability and that curiosity built into you that you are, like I said, it's been my own journey. And Flybits is one of those organizations that truly accommodate such a journey of growth. So I went from delivering to finance when we needed to raise funding I coupled that with formal education, then went into like sales, then went into the international office expansion, continued customer success, marketing, partnerships. I've always had that curiosity to place myself in places where it would add value to the company, but it also would benefit my knowledge and would benefit my experience. Great stuff. Thank you. Well, sometimes related to it is also to learn from others through reading or uh, watching a, a documentary or a movie. What would you recommend to aspiring entrepreneurs to, to read upon? There's no shortage of content out there. I can just tell you some of my recent readings. One sure. is Hard Things About Hard Things. The Hard Things About Hard Things, quite a nice book. Oh, the, mo the most recommended on this podcast. So tell us something else. Oh, there you go. Uh, I read shoe dog the nike story yeah yeah um, got that the undoing project zero marginal cost society i found it quite interesting it's uh, it's not very recent but still quite applicable in my opinion in terms of what we're seeing an undoing project you said yeah the undoing project zero marginal cost society is another one that i read very recently when you talk to some legendary founders they say how they slept on a mattress for 10 years and then finally made it and things like this maybe in reality it's not as tough let's hope how do you relax what are the trendy hobbies on the toronto startup scene do people just meet up for a beer covid permitting or uh, what else is going on in reality i'd say it's a bit tough but it's not necessarily <laughs> all right <laughs> but it's not really characterized by one moment in time like sleeping on the floor i think it's characterized by the perseverance that is required and the pain that you go through by essentially running a marathon, but as a sprint. And I think that's part of the self-training that you have to go through. Now, in terms of the, what do you do? I really like spending time with my children. I have two young children. I have a girl, she's six years old and a boy who's one. So those are my two other startups with no exit strategy. 
And but in terms of what else, one thing also because it matches both my, you know, I'm getting a bit older and it has to match my speed of running before I used to play soccer quite a bit. So now this season I picked up golf. And I don't get to go there very often, but whenever I do, I've started to quite enjoy it. Great stuff. So I hope you do enjoy it more and more. Let's see. So where are you on your entrepreneurial journey as Flybits? Well, as Flybit as a company, in terms of what we really aspire to think about what's happening right now in this uh, the personalization space, right? Everyone talks about personalization, contextualization, right moment, right time, right data, but it's still quite a bit of fragmentation uh, in the industry, a significant amount, actually. And what we intend to do is to be the global go-to for experience design and delivery. To think about why that is, think about what we've seen, and we can take some parallel from history. In the early days, for example, we had search, and there were many search engines, some building house, some competing with each other. And then one search engine, like Google, came in and really unlocked that potential correctly. And it's pretty much the dominant search engine in the world. Similar thing happens with, let's say, infrastructure. A lot of folks were building their own infrastructure, cloud, non-cloud, on-prem, and so on. And I think AWS first unlocked that potential and pretty became, became the go-to. And I think Flybits has the potential to be the go-to when it comes to experience design and experience delivery. Sorry about the sound there. Okay, great stuff. So thank you very much. Now, to conclude, I'd like to I'd like to ask you what are the interested parties or what are the parties you would like to hear from and uh, what's the basic, best way to reach out? Yeah, you can reach us uh, through our website, flybits.com. You can also reach me directly. So it's my first name, that last name, at flybits.com. So gerdit.dervishi at flybits.com. LinkedIn. Whichever avenue, I'm very open, always willing to have conversations. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much and good luck to Flybits. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.